All right. We're going to go ahead and get started. Real quick, just uh, for those of you who maybe this is your first time at the table, just so to kind of give you a heads up so you know what's going on, this is, uh, this is not a normal night or, or kind of a normal way that we operate. Usually we'd be opening up a book of the Bible, particularly Hebrews this year, and kind of walking through that step by step. But tonight we're doing um, what we've kind of come to call coffee nights. Um, that is, the idea behind these are uh, every now and then Scott and I have these things, these these thoughts in our heads, these these words that, man, if we could take each and every one of you out to coffee individually, this is what we wish we could share over a cup of coffee with you. And, and since we can't do that, we want to take you all out at the same time to coffee. And, and so that's, that's what these nights are, just a chance for us to kind of share what's on our heart. Um, and in the spirit of Valentine's Day, this is not just a coffee night, this is a coffee date, okay? So just figure we should DTR this right now. Um, <laughs> Um, so just, just so you know, that, that's kind of where we're talking and, and talking, not, not just about relationships really, but more in, more in general about manhood and womanhood and, and, uh, God's kind of goal and design for that. And, and, and really the, the things that we feel like he's laid on our hearts specifically about that because Scott and I have, um, little to no experience with womanhood, um, ourselves, <laughs> we have asked, uh, Morgan Weiss and Diane Brown to come share with us a little bit, and so Morgan's up here with me right now. Um, Diane will be up in a little bit. Uh, Morgan is uh, the children's minister at Sunnybrook Christian Church, and uh, just came on earlier this year. I want to make sure this is working. All right. Um, but also, here's the cool thing about Morgan. Well, first of all, the, the extra cool thing about Morgan is that she's my cousin. Um, the yeah, which yeah. is apparently why we match whenever we That's right. We That's why we kind of we coordinated yes. this thing. Um, the, the other cool thing about Morgan is, is she, she does a great job, um, sharing the gospel with and discipling kids, but really Morgan has above, uh, above just children, her passion is discipleship and, and God and his kingdom. And so one of the things she gets really excited about is actually her volunteers and getting to disciple college students and adults and, and walk them through those things. And so she has a heart for this age and, and and some unique perspective on, on some of this stage of life. And so that's why we wanted to have her here. Diane is our women's discipleship minister at Sunnybrook. And so she, needless to say, has a strong passion for this. And we were just talking yesterday about how much she loves getting to connect with, with college-age girls and, and talk through some of that. So I hope you'll get a, take the chance to get to meet them. What we'll do is we'll each share a little bit, um, 8 to 12 minutes apiece. Um, Morgan and I first, we'll take a break, then Scott and Diane, and then... Um, if there's time at the end, we'll do, we might kind of open it up for some questions. We'll, we'll see how those things go. All right. Um, so to kind of kick things off, here is, here's kind of what I would love to share with you. Some stuff that's been on my mind. This is really something and, and, and specifically, obviously I'm going to be speaking to the guys, but, but I hope girls that you're listening to this because this matters, um, as a community that we're calling each other to these expectations, guys and girls together. And it matters for when you when you begin to think about marriage um, that that you're hearing these kinds of standards put out on men and and men to hear certain standards called out um, to women and, and to be thinking along those lines. So, um, he, he the the thing that I'd like to kind of share with you a little bit is something that that truthfully has been um, I think something that is that God has been working on me in for for like the last probably seven eight years really as long as I've been married but especially um, since I started having kids uh, but but the truth is I haven't actually had like words for it until the last couple of months really it's been in the last few months that that clarity has 
um, begin to come to me about what this actually looks like and, and how to start to kind of work through this. Some of that clarity has come um, from listening to Matt Chandler um, speak. He did a, a series in the fall of the Village Church called A Beautiful Design on Manhood and Womanhood, and, and it would be a great thing to check out if you're interested in more of this. Um, Chandler says this, that, that the role of men given by God, the role of men in their home can be broken down into three different things. The first is provision. That is, they are to provide for their family, um, not just financially, but also to provide protection for them. So they are to take care of their family. The second is this, that men are to love sacrificially. And this comes specifically from Ephesians 5. Uh, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So in the same way that Christ gave himself up for the church, husbands are called to give themselves up for their families and specifically their wives to sacrifice. Husbands are to be the main servant in the home, the one who does most of the serving and sacrificing. And then the third thing is that men are called in their homes to lead spiritually. So these three things, to provide, to love sacrificially, and to lead spiritually. Um, and, and he says, and I believe this, that, that a lot of the problems, perhaps most of the problems that, that take place in families and therefore actually in society as a whole stem from the failure on the part of men to, to fulfill these three areas of their God-given role. Um, that when men fail to do this, the family falls apart. And when families begin to fall apart, society and culture as a whole begins to fall apart where men are not living out their God-given duties. I, I think that... If you were to walk into the average church, into, in, into most churches on a Sunday morning, you will find that there is a room full of guys who probably do pretty good with the first one of those. Um, especially, I can't speak for everybody, but especially kind of in this part of the country where guys, a lot of them really pride themselves on working hard um, to do a good job at their place of employment, to make sure that they are... Um, providing for their family, putting a roof over their head, and, and, and putting food on the table. Guys pride themselves in that, and, and a lot of guys in church, I think, do a pretty good job of that. Um, where men struggle um, often, um, they struggle to do this. A lot of times I think men actually even struggle to recognize the need for this, or their failure in this area, is, is to love sacrificially and to lead spiritually. Um, that they often, I've found that a lot of men... Um, that they, they believe that the protection and the provision is kind of their main role, that that is the way they show love, which, which it can be a part of it, but, but a lot of times they think that their job is done in that. And, and men who can be very um, hardworking at their job are often lazy or negligent when it comes to being at the home. Um, so so here's, here, here's what I've found to be kind of true, I think, in my own life, and I think for so many guys, I think one of the... This stems from a, a major misunderstanding that guys have, and that is this, that my job is for work and my home is for rest. That, that my job is where I go and I expend my energy and I expend my effort, but when I go home, that's the place I go to unwind, to relax. And that's, that's just not true in what I'm discovering. The, the truth is this, that my job is for me to go to work and my home is where I go to work. That I work from 9 to 5 so that I can go home and work for the rest of the evening with my family. And by work, I don't mean fix things, although that might be part of it. And I don't mean mow the lawn, although that's part of it. By work, I mean um, put effort into engaging with my family. 
um, that I spend time playing with the kids, that I spend time connecting with my wife, that I'm intentional about serving her and asking how I can help and, and work around the house, um, that I do those things, that I sacrifice for them, and that I find ways to lead them, to pray with them, um, to do those kinds of things. These, this is the kind of work that I think we're called to, and a lot of guys miss that. Let me kind of share my own, um, my own experience. December 2010, I, I specifically remember the night. December of 2010, my, my son had just been born two months ago. He was our second child, and Ella, our oldest, was 18 months. And so at 18 months, they're still fairly helpless. There's a lot of things they can't do. They're still in diapers. They're still, you still got to dress them and brush their teeth and bathe them and all those things. And so she still requires a lot of energy. And then we added an infant into that. And and life was just crazy, and in a lot of ways still is kind of crazy. But, but I remember um, the sleepless nights and, and, and all the uh, effort and all the free time that was taken away from me. In that. And specifically, we're at my parents' house um, for Christmas, which has kind of historically been a place that's very restful for us. Um, and, and we were trying to hang out with everybody, and like every 20 minutes, one of my kids was screaming or crying. They were supposed to be sleeping. And so Amy and I, my wife and I, just kept like taking turns running upstairs. And I remember at one of these points, I'm up there, and I'm sitting in a rocker in this upstairs bedroom in my parents' house, and I'm rocking Hudson, and I am like just fuming. Um, I'm so ticked at this little person <laughs> who has come in and robbed me of my life, okay, who, who literally has, because of, because of his entrance into my life, along, along with his sister, okay, he gets the really, you know, he was the final straw, okay, so I put a lot of blame on him, but, um, but because of that, like, I, I, was, I found myself losing, I, losing free time, and, and they were costing me money, and they were certainly costing me rest and sleep, and, and it was at that point I really realized I was angry about this, and, and, and truthfully bitter, and, and it took kind of a week or two of sitting back and, and recognizing what was happening, that, 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 that I, was, uh, I was angry with them, largely because I had kind of bought into a lie, and that lie is that, that my life was mine to begin with, um, that, that that was mine to do with what I wanted, they were taking that from me. When, when biblically speaking, actually, um, by God's definition of how a family works, like, that's their right to have those things from me. Like, God put me there to expend myself on their behalf. And, and I, I had gotten so caught up in this feeling that it was kind of for me and that they were taking all of this away from me. And, and, and I felt like I was losing a grip on my life and, and not realizing that, that I wasn't supposed to be holding on to it that tight anyway. And this has been a, a, a big paradigm shift that really has still, that was 2010, really still, it's, it's just in the last few months I feel like things are really starting to take effect where I'm starting to recognize this need to go home and work. And, and so um, that, 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 I, that I intentionally engage, that I, when I get home, I, I don't, one of the kind of the standard rules, I, I don't turn on the TV when I go home until it's bedtime. Um, because I know if I turn on the TV, then, then I, I disengage from them. And, and I, I try to specifically make it my goal when I get home uh, to multiple times of the night, ask my wife, babe, what can I do for you? Like, what, what would be the most helpful thing to do right now? I try to be um, intentional about getting on the floor and wrestling with my kids. And, and, and listen, I'm not, um, I, I fail at this a lot, okay? 
um, I can't lie to you because my wife's here, all right? And she might be able to stand up and be like, let me tell my side of this story. So, um, so truthfully, I, this is not something I have mastered. And there are a lot of nights that I'm pulling into the driveway and praying to God for energy that I could, that I could um, invest in my family. And there are a lot of nights that I, that I may not ever turn the TV on, but I find myself looking at my phone a whole lot. And, and there are nights that I do it all just right, but with, with an anger in my heart and frustration in my heart about those things. And so God is still working on me, but I'm, I'm trying to, um, to take this paradigm that I spend myself on behalf of my family. Two more minutes. What does this have to do with you? Because um, very few of you are married and none of you have kids. So guys, what does this have to do with you? Here's, here's what this has to do with you. If I could wish anything for you, if I could give you any piece of advice, it would be take steps now to disengage yourself from this lie that your life belongs to you. Because the truth is, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 7, that there, it's better to be single than to be married because a married person um, has, has their interests divided. They, they feel themselves kind of pulled in two different directions as they're trying to live their life. And a single person is able to focus on just one thing. But this is kind of the interesting part of it. What, what Paul says, he sets out these two different categories, and in neither option, or in neither category, is there an option to focus inward on yourself. Mm-hmm. In neither option is there ever a point where you get to have your interests and your free time mm-hmm. to yourself. He says that the married person is divided because they are concerned with how they can please God and please their spouse. And the single person is the lucky one because they get to consume all of their mind and time and energy with not how they can develop new hobbies, not how they can sleep in, not how they can spend more time in front of the TV, but how they can serve God. And so the truth is that even now your life isn't yours. Um, And and this is a key time for you to begin to kind of grasp some of those things. If I could give you three practical things to start working for that. The first thing is this, that you, if you're not serving somewhere, start doing that. And this is, this is good for, for, for girls to, to know too, but guys especially, if you're not serving somewhere in the church, begin to do that. Um, second is this, um, be disciplined about opening up God's word. You need this for yourself. All right, you need this for yourself, regardless of whether you will ever be married. And, and, and you ought to be serving the church, regardless of whether you will ever be married. And, and, and not everyone in here will be, more than likely. But you need these things. But uh, if you're going to lead your family, you need to be someone who is in the Word, who is being disciplined about making time to do those things. Um, and the last thing I would tell you is this, and, and, and I want to be careful about this. What I'm about to tell you is practical advice. Don't make it a rule. Um, especially don't make it a rule for everybody else that you hold them to because no one will like you, all right? Um, It's this. It's okay to play video games. It's okay to watch TV. And it's okay to take naps. But it's probably not okay. You probably need to be doing all of that less. Like, it's, it's probably not okay to binge watch seasons at a time and again, uh, uh, on Netflix, all right? It's, it's probably not good or healthy for you to spend regular amount, like hours at a time, regularly playing video games, um, and to, to sleep in every day. Those things build in us the illusion that our time is ours to do what we want with it. Um, and those build in us habits that will be more difficult than you know to break once you get married, and, and, and truthfully, there's not time for those things. So I'm not saying don't ever do that, and, and I'm not saying be the whatever video game police in your apartment that all your roommates hate, okay? 
Uh, I'm saying, I'm saying begin now to take steps towards using your time intentionally. You have time to study and grow in your knowledge of God's word. You have time to serve like a married person does and take advantage of those times because godliness, if, if Jesus is our example of what a godly man is, that means godly men serve, love, sacrificially. And so that's our calling is meant to do that, single or married. I'll hand it over to you now. Okay. Um, I'm just going to start with a little different angle. Um, I'm not married. I'm the only one of the three that's not married. So I have more in common with you than everybody else up here. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but what I, I'm going to stand because I stand when I talk. Um, okay. But um, what I always want to talk to you today about is the idea that wifehood does not equal womanhood. And that's a very important concept to understand. And I think it's extremely important, especially in the church, because I think sometimes whenever we hear the idea of family a lot in the church, you can think that somehow you're not as important or your identity in Christ is somehow lowered or your relationship with Christ can only go so far because our women supposed to lead. And so if I don't have a husband leading me, then how far do I go? How far can I go? Um, because how do I possibly lead myself? All these kinds of things, right? And so you start to think that wifehood equals womanhood, and that's not true. And that's, not, that's really not um, biblical, even. Um, the family is described as the church body, and we are called to follow men in the church and leaders in the church and o- older women in the church and anyone that's further along in their faith than us. And so there's a way that we can grow in our relationship with God, even if you're not married. And so I just want you to know, first of all, that wifehood does not equal womanhood, um, biblically speaking. And I also want you to know that's true for all roles. Sisterhood does not equal womanhood. And um, singleness does not equal womanhood. And the, the woman who works and has a great career does not equal womanhood. And the woman who stays home and takes care of her kids does not equal womanhood. That's not biblical. The biblical idea of what makes you feminine biblically is that you are godly, is that you seek after Jesus and you have a heart that is constantly transformed and eyes that are focused and feet that are moving always, always, always towards Jesus. That's the idea of what makes you fully a woman. I like how Larry, um, Larry Crabb says this. And actually, I took this from Diane. She's someone that I look to as an example. And so I took this from her because she's the one who found this. But um, Larry Crabb says that a deeply feminine woman is so at rest in God's delight and her undamageable beauty that she invites others to enjoy the beauty of God's holy invitational nature. I think that um, something we do as women naturally is we seek to find identity in roles that we play instead of finding contentment in our identity and our undamageable beauty in Christ and who he has created us to be and our call to pursue holiness in him. And um, so I just want to encourage you guys to do that. So what does a godly woman actually look like if it's not just being a wife or just being a woman who works all the time or just being single or just being this or that? What does it look like to be a godly woman? Well, first of all, one who fears the Lord is kind of the go-to thing there. And then the whole book of Proverbs talks about the beginning of knowledge is to fear the Lord. And then it ends, the book of Proverbs ends talking about a virtuous woman and specifically a wife. Um, But it does say in there, it gives all these things that make her virtuous. And at the end is kind of the bottom line and the underlying thing to the whole entire um, section of the Proverbs 31 woman. And it's that she fears the Lord. 
It's that beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is the one to be praised. I'm lucky because I have a whole bunch of women in my life that have modeled this for me and have pulled me towards this. Some are married, some aren't. Some are moms, some aren't. Um, some are younger than me. Some are cousins and aunts and uncles, or not uncles, <laughs> some and cousins and aunts. Um, some are um, just friends from college. Um, specifically, my mom has showed me how to do this. Um, and continues to show me how to do this. So those are just, it's just important to surround yourself with those kinds of people. Um, another, another one that's big, and I think when we hear this word, it can make us cringe sometime as, sometimes as women because of our culture, is um, the word submission. I think it's a really important word that comes along with being a godly woman. And so first I just want to start by saying this. I don't think that submission is an idea of you lay down and someone runs over you. If you ask anyone that knows me, I'm not the kind of girl that likes to lay down and have people just run right over me. I'm not. I don't do that very well. Okay? Um, But I don't think that's what submission is. I think submission is understanding there's this larger picture, and I think it's an offensive thing that you have to actively do. That's something that my mom also told me. My mom is a very strong woman also, and uh, my dad is a strong man. And I've seen my mom as I've grown constantly, constantly, constantly submit to my dad's leadership. And then just as Drew was talking about how a husband loves sacrificially, it's cool because in Ephesians, that's kind of the picture it gives. A wo- the woman submits, and the husband loves sacrificially, and then the woman submits, and then the husband loves sacrificially, and that's how it constantly works. You constantly go underneath the other and lift the other, the other up for the glory of God. That's what you do. And so as a single woman, what that looks like is that I am submissive to male leadership in the church. And I am submissive um, to male leadership that is in the church that is my family. So um, if our family was having an issue and my older brother Titus had this, we were deciding what to do with my parents, like something was happening to them, I would be submissive to my brother Titus, um, not because he's a man, but because he's a godly man. And so that's what I'm called to do. I am called to be submissive in that. Um, uh, to Drew and to Scott as my brothers in Christ or my uncles in Christ. That's probably what I'd call Scott. He doesn't like that, but that's what I'm calling. And I would be submissive by putting myself under their leadership, even if I, even if I disagreed. Um, so that's a really important thing. So I want you to take the idea that our culture has hijacked the word submit as something that um, it's girl power and woman and um, be this awesome person and that actually part of being an awesome woman in the Lord is being submissive. So I, I just want you to know that. And if you can't be submissive, you're not going to be an awesome woman in the Lord. So just know that. Um, it's part of womanhood. Um, a lot of times another thing for just being a godly woman and for womanhood is that our mouths seem to get us in trouble a lot with the words that we use as women. That's part of submission. Um, and it's something that I struggle with. Um, and so I would just really challenge you um, that you should gar- be guarding what you say. And so if you're talking to someone and you find yourself that you can't control your words every time you talk to this person, you probably shouldn't be ever talking to that person. And I know it sounds really harsh, but it's true. Um, and actually, I had, talking about being submissive to male leadership, actually a guy taught me better, this better than a woman because I don't know why guys tend to not struggle with this as much as women do. And um, my uh, brother in Christ, James, who lives in Owasso, um, is really good at this. And so he called me on it. I was there for three years, and he called me on it every time I did it. And so I don't do it as much anymore. I just, I've learned to just shut up. 
is what I've learned to do. If someone's, if someone's talking, I've learned to nod, and then I've learned to turn the conversation back on them. And I've learned techniques on how to do that to keep myself. Because what I would find is that I just want to talk to this person. And so if she's talking about them, then because I want to talk to this person, I'll just talk about them too. And so I've learned how to switch that around and turn the conversation to be talking about them and talking about God and talking about what's going on in your life instead of talking about somebody else. James, if I, if I was talking about somebody else or slandering somebody, he would just look at me and raise his eyebrows and then he'd turn and walk away. He wouldn't listen to me anymore. And after he did that so many times and I was embarrassed so many times, um, I stopped doing it. I was like, I'm not, and if somebody else would say something, I'll just look at James like, I don't say anything. I'm just going to stand here. Uh, look at my toes. Like, they're really interesting, you know, or something. Until I could figure out and take his cue on how to switch it. And go, I hear what you're saying, but let's talk about something different. We're just not going to do this. Um, so that's something I would really um, encourage you to do as women. Because you can really be super, super, super divisive in the body of Christ with your words. Um, if you are not careful. Now, some specifics to being a single woman following Christ, and you could tell me this, Diane, or, or Amy, or Ryan, but um, these probably also apply to, um, to marriage, but I know they for sure apply to singleness. So, um, just specifics to being a single woman in Christ, these are what I would challenge you with. Um, guard your heart through the media that you intake. I'm going to give you a lot of guard your heart pieces, okay? So, the first one is media that you intake. I am super careful about what I watch, what I listen to, and what I let my eyes see. Um, and also in that, I'm careful in how I've been in 11 weddings. I've been a, a bridesmaid in 11 weddings. And I even have to be careful in that when I'm helping my friends plan their wedding. I have to be careful about how I engage in that process to make sure that I'm guarding my heart in the whole entire thing. Um, and not ever becoming jealous or becoming bitter. Um, and that's tough. And that's tough. Um, but I would challenge you to do that through the media you intake. So clearly, none of you guys should be seeing the Fifty Shades of Grey movie. That's pretty obvious. Um, that's not even tempting for me to go see. Um, however, I do have an example of this recently in my life. Um, I have always heard about the show The Bachelor, and I had never really watched it. And my friend Rebecca and I, we get together a lot a lot, probably four times a week, and um, she just comes over, and we just hang out. After Quan goes to bed, we just end up trying to find something on Netflix to watch, and um, we had been watching The Voice, and that was really fun, and then all of a sudden, The Voice was over, and we couldn't watch it anymore. Well, The Bachelor started up um, at the beginning of this year, and so we just started watching it, and it was really fun because we were kind of making fun of it, and we were like, oh my goodness, I can't believe anybody would do this. This is so dumb, and we were just going through this whole thing, right, and then after about like th- uh, two weeks, I just found myself like not feeling good feelings that I should be having. I don't know how else to describe it, and it was very evident that I that the Holy Spirit was convicting me to not watch this, and I was kind of scared to say something. Even though I know that my friend Rebecca loves Jesus and that she would be completely on board, I was afraid to say something because I didn't want her to just not come over and hang out. And um, kind of like the conversation piece, right? And so I just wasn't saying anything, wasn't saying anything. And then Rebecca actually was the one that she came to me and she said, I just got to let you know something. I just, I don't, I know I, it's not wrong, maybe wrong in theory, maybe. She goes, but for me, like, I just feel really convicted about watching the show. I said, are you kidding me? I feel really convicted about watching this show. And we cried and it was great. And we just talked about, <laughs> we just talked about how this is so awesome that the Holy Spirit was convicting both of us and that we get to now hold each other in this. And so now 
what I do is I have to delete the show, and I have to delete it every week until it's over because I don't know how to delete the series, and it's super frustrating. So every single Tuesday, I'm like, oh, no, The Bachelor's on my DVR. i got to get it off, and so I have to get it off. Um, and that's just something that we had to guard our hearts of. That was a media that we couldn't take in, and I don't know if maybe when you're married you can watch it and, and you don't have any struggles, but... For some reason, for both of us, it wasn't okay to watch that. And so this is stuff that you're going to have to constantly do. It's something that I do on the radio all the time with my kid. Um, I'm, I'm, I have no, like, rule that we listen to Christian-only music. And so we listen to just any music. Um, but if something comes on and it's, like, sexually not okay, um, or if it's just anywhere inappropriate, I'm just, I just turn it. It just, I have to get it off, completely out of there. Um, it's just not healthy and it's not wise. So I... I would really challenge you to guard your heart through the media that you intake. Um, I also challenge you to guard your heart through conversations had. That's just like what I was talking about with James, so I'm not going to go any further with that one because I'm trying to go as fast as I can. Um, um, Also, I would challenge you to guard your heart through just being saturated in truth, um, through reading scripture, um, through listening to worship music. My fav- one of my favorite ways to be saturated in the truth of the Lord is to find passages in the Bible that have images in, in um, creation. And then I try to memorize those passages um, in length. And then I'll recite them every time I see whatever it is it's talking about in creation. That's something that I do because I'm in my car every day. So I really struggle with worry. So I memorize a whole bunch of things about worry and about God's presence. And every time I see birds, I think of God. It's been really cool. We haven't had any snow, and I've seen birds every day all last year. So God has just used that to remind me of him. And so I just, those are things that I would encourage you to do is be saturated in the truth of the word. Um, I would also challenge you, this is a really big one if you're single. Um, Guard your heart through Christian community. That is so huge. Because you don't have a, like, family, like a nucleus family, I have that with Quan, um, but because, like, I'm not married, I am so saturated in the community that God gives me in my church, even more so than I think I, uh, well, maybe. Um, I hope I'm just as saturated whenever I'm married, but if I get married. But if I don't, I, I just want to be completely saturated in that family dynamic because they are the ones that are going to be leading and growing and challenging me to be accountable and grow my relationship with Jesus. Um, just like they have on the wall talking about connecting to older believers, it's really important that you are connecting to people, all different sorts of people that are in different ages and different lifestyles than you. So that might be someone that's older than you. It might be someone that's younger than you. Um, someone that has lots of kids, someone that has kids that are out of the house, someone that has kids that are young, someone, um, that's your age, just people of different ages because we are, we're a family. And if you're just hanging out with people that are all your age and your, your role as a woman, like as a single woman, then you're missing out on this idea of the family sharpening one another and calling each other and playing different parts um, in the role of the family as a whole. And so you can't do that very well. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Hook. It's kind of old. Okay. Well, um, in, the, in the movie Hook, I love, I love how they depict the Lost Boys because it's just chaos and crazy, and these boys are just, they're nuts, and of course they're that way, because there's something missing in the lost boys, in the group, and it's an adult, okay, and I know that we are becoming adults, but if we just hang out with one another all the time, we are missing it, because we're not surrounding ourselves with people that are further along in their faith, and we're not surrounding ourselves with people that are, um, that are behind us in our faith, that we can help lift up, and we're not surrounding ourselves with sisters, and with aunts, and 
um, and uncles and all these people that are that are in the that are in our family <laughs> as the body of Christ. So really, really, really be saturated in community um, with people that are different than you in your role. Um, guard your heart through. This is just a really practical thing, and it's it's kind of made up. So just kind of go with me because it's just something I don't know how to I don't know how to name it. Kind of like he said, I was thinking through this. Um, I put guard your heart through intimate victories with Jesus is how I described it. This is something I started doing in college because um, I don't like change. And so when I moved to Ozark, it was just tough. And then I left Ozark and I moved to New Orleans for eight months by myself. And that was really tough. And then I came back here and I got called to Owasso and I, even that was tough. And so all these things are hard for me. And so what I would do is I would have, I would have little things that I talked to God about and only God about. And, um, and it's that, and I, I have now, that's not saying like keep things from everybody all the time or anything like that. I understand little challenges that I would give myself, I would tell God about them. And I would say it maybe before I went into a situation like, okay, tonight I know I'm going to be around these people. Lord, please, 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 please convict me and help me and give me wisdom. Give me your spirit and help me not fall into gossip. And then it would happen, and I'd find myself, like, smiling in the middle of, like, <laughs> hanging out with people. And I'd be having these intimate victories with Jesus. And I don't like things like dating God and things like that. I think that's weird. Um, but, but what I do like is that I don't know if you've ever shared an inside joke with somebody but it makes you feel super connected with that person. Or I don't know if you have like a memory with somebody and you guys can, something will happen and you'll look at them and you'll go, oh, remember when? And it's like you guys share this special thing. I have so many of those with God. I have so many that, that you guys all weren't a part of. And I am okay with that. And I, that has been something that has really, really, really helped me. And so especially if I am struggling with a specific sin, that's something I would challenge you to do is really... Um, be accountable to people and have them in your life to speak truth to you, but then make really specific, on-point, in-the-moment, intimate victories that you can have with Jesus and start looking for them, because I think it's really special. And I write them down, so I like to revisit, I like to revisit them. Um, and then the last thing I just wanted to tell you um, is that it's okay. It's okay to desire to be married. Um, I desire to be married. I really thought I was going to be married by now. I don't know what's going on. And... Uh, <laughs> There are a whole lot of times that even now I'll start to question and I'll find myself doubting, like, is there something wrong with me? Um, you, people, I think, just misunderstand what they're trying to communicate sometimes, and I'll think, am I not, like, godly enough? Is that why I'm not married? Or am I not um, good enough or pretty enough? Or you go through all these different things. Like, is there something really weird about my personality? Am I too, do I speak out too much? Um, do, I, am I, do I shut up too much? What do I do? What's wrong with me? And um, I just want to challenge you that you can't be consumed with that. And something that has really helped me with that has been Quan. But another thing that helped me with that was um, when I moved to New Orleans, that was a big deal. Because I always, I felt called to do ministry and do some sort of inner city ministry um, when I was 14 on a mission trip to Dallas. And um, I really thought I would get married and then just follow my husband wherever he went and do inner city ministry wherever he was. So that's where I kind of, what I kind of thought would happen. And I didn't get married, and I didn't get married, and I didn't get married. And graduation's coming, and i got to know what I'm going to do. And I got a call to go to New Orleans, which is forever away. It felt like it was 12 hours, which was really far. And I was nervous, and uh, I went. And it was the hardest six, eight months of my life. It was so hard. I, was, I have never felt so alone 
as I did at the beginning of my time there. And I was terrified. And I remember feeling, and I remember thinking I wish I was married because I didn't want to be alone. I remember that. I remember specifically like those two things constantly going together. And it is amazing how much um, God inserted himself in my life when I was in New Orleans and inserted his presence in a way that I could see him and that I had so many intimate victories with Jesus in that place whenever it was seemingly like I was completely alone. And um, it's cool. I mean, one of one of the things that's most tangible to me is I journal in my quiet time. And it takes me a long time to get through a whole journal. And I went I went through like six to nine journals in my time at, in New Orleans because I was having just all this time with Jesus to just talk to him and tell him what I'm struggling with and then watch him be faithful. And we just, uh, it's cool. No one else in my life right now can talk to me about New Orleans except for God because no one else that's in my life right now was with me in New Orleans. And it's just cool. It's just really cool to me. So I would just challenge the, challenge you that um, it, your desire to be married is normal and it's okay, but never let it paralyze you to what God has called you to do. Um, that is not okay. It is okay to be afraid and be obedient to God. It is not okay to um, be afraid be afraid, and have your fear cause you to be disobedient or stagnant in your walk with God. So I just want to call you guys to that. And then I just want to pray for you. And then are we taking a break? Yeah. Is that good? Yep. All right. Let's just pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, <laughs> thank you so much just for all these people here. Um, I just want to pray uh, for your wisdom for all the women here and all the young men here. I just want to pray that you give them your wisdom every day as they seek you of how to be godly men and women. And I just want to pray for your spirit that you fill us up, that you work on our hearts and in us and through us. Um, Lord, I just want to pray that you uh, give us eyes to focus on you and and what you have for us and who we are in you and um, not eyes that focus inward, uh, like Drew was saying. Lord, and I just, uh, I just want to lift up um, all these lives to you, uh, whether they're single or married, um, they're always going to be men or women. And so I just pray that they're godly men and women. We love you so much. Amen. All right, guys, take one minute to kind of stand up, stretch, and then Scott and Diane will get up here. Hey, we have a quick announcement for you. Listen up, please. This is Alyssa. Everyone say hi to Alyssa. Hi, Alyssa. Okay, Alyssa, share what you want to share. <laughs> okay. Hi, guys. I said, I'm Alyssa. I've been here for a couple of years. just want to give you, uh, explain an opportunity that's happening next weekend. So not this weekend, next weekend. Uh, Friday the 20th into the Saturday the 21st. My parents run a ministry called Community Action Ministries. And it's actually based in Norman. Don't hold it against us. Um, and so... They're actually hosting a fundraiser and awareness night for the homeless. So it's called One Night in a Box, and you actually come and you spend the night in a cardboard box and get to experience kind of what it's like to be homeless. We have several guest speakers from people who either work with the homeless or have been homeless and have sought out help and are no longer homeless now. So they can give us a, like a first-hand experience of what it's like. Um, there's three things you have to bring. Don't let these three things hold you back from coming. First is a cardboard box to sleep in. Second is a uh, canned vegetable or canned soup. We throw it all together, and that's what we eat that night. It's called stone soup. 
um, just like you were going through a soup line at um, a homeless shelter. And then the third thing is $30 because it is a fundraiser and that money goes to the organizations that the guest speakers come speak from. So we're trying to raise as much money so we can divide it between those two organizations and they help um, homeless in Oklahoma City and Norman area. So if you would like more information, come talk to me after and I'll also post something on the table page um, tonight or tomorrow. Yeah. What day is it? It's uh, February 20th and 21st. So Friday, Friday into Saturday. Friday night, Saturday. And we, we already have a group. Your table group is going to go, right? Yeah. So sure there's a there's yeah. a girls table group going if you guys want to jump in with them and go with them. If there's a group of guys that are interested in going, I, I think there's one or two guys that might be going. So uh, like she said, she'll post something on the Facebook wall and you can like it or join it or whatever it is you do there. <laughs> And uh, she can tell you more about it. So, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Awesome. What? Uh, February 20th to 21st. It's next weekend. It's, it's a week from Saturday. tomorrow night. All right. Okay. Um, what, one quick qualifier. I'm not sure if she communicated this or not. Um, Morgan, this is Morgan's adopted son, Quan. And so that he's, he's over here hanging out. So he's... <laughs> He's, he's like with the cool kids, getting to hang out late at night, and you know. So anyway, you can you can find out more about that later. So this is Diane. This is Diane Brown. Like Drew said, she is the she's on staff at, at Sunnybrook in our adult ministry, specifically women's discipleship. And I would like for you to uh, to hear from her and and get to know her. So she's gonna start tonight. So. Jump right in. Okay. Well, I'm thankful to be here tonight, and it just hit me that I think I'm the oldest <coughs> one here, no. so that hey, feels kind of yucky. Every week. Um, <laughs> I'm just glad. Okay. Yeah. I get so called uncle. I'm glad. You're here. Yeah. Well. Yeah, Grandpa. Awesome. And dad. Anyway, sorry. Okay. Go ahead. So now you don't have to be the no. the oldest. Nice. Um, but anyway, yeah. Well, what I want to talk about. Um, kind of applies, I think, to for men and women both. And I started thinking about, you know, they asked me to talk about what's something that I wish I had known at your age. Um, and I really thought about that. And so, again, this may not just apply. It's probably it's not going to just apply to women. It's going to be for women and men. But when I was raised, um, my whole life I'd been a Christian and um, had a relationship with the Lord and everything. But one thing I really wish I had um, known, or at least I knew it, but I didn't live it out, and that is to that you know a full surrender to the Lord. I don't think I really understood what it meant to die to self and to um, just give Him all of me. And so I want to. Uh, Paul says in Galatians, "I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me." Um, and then Luke 9.23 says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And so my whole life, um, up until almost pretty much five or six years ago, I you know, I had a relationship, and I knew those verses, but I didn't really think about them, I guess. And I think I just included my plans with God's plans. You know, I kind of thought that, I could, you know, ask him for his will in my life, um, but still hold on to some stuff without even really knowing I was holding on to it, I think. 
And so, anyway, um, so I think that, you know, being a godly woman or a godly man or even a godly husband, a godly wife, really starts with um, your relationship with the Lord. And that's just foundational because you're really not going to be an effective husband or wife if you don't have that relationship um, for yourself. So that's kind of what I want to start there. And so anyway, I, um, you know, I went through, I, I was a Christian. I did have a faith in the Lord, um, and I did uh, want to marry a Christian man. And, uh, but the problem was that because I hadn't fully surrendered to the Lord and uh, committed everything to him, uh, I had, you know, I was kind of living for myself a lot of the time. And so I had expectations for a husband of, you know, what is it, what type of husband will I need to meet my needs? You know, what type of husband or what am I looking for in a husband that will um, compliment me? And so I kind of went about it in the wrong way. I mean, I wanted a, I wanted a Christian husband, but uh, I think I was too focused on, you know, how he would uh, compliment me. And so, you know, that's, that was, it, it was hard during our marriage because I had these expectations that, you know, were very hard for him to fill. So about five years ago, and you know, I mean, this is kind of part of that transformation process. We're growing in him, being sanctified, and so... Uh, this is a growth process, and so I, I, it's not that I didn't know the Lord and had, I, you know, I definitely had a relationship with him, but um, about five years ago, the Lord just got a hold of me, and I listened probably this time, and he just said, you know, you need to surrender everything to me, um, you're holding back, and so I was ready at that time, and I was just really ready to fully commit and give him everything. So I did, and I looked at it as, you know, I'm just a blank slate now. Even though at the time I was probably around 44 years old, I said, Lord, I'm ready to just, I'm just going to wait here and uh, have you tell me what you want me to do, and I'm ready to, um, you know, give up my career, give up plans for my kids, give up my house, give up, you know, where I live and my church and my family, or not my family, but, you know, I can't give up my husband and my kids, but I don't want to do that, but, uh, but give up, you know, my interests, my desires and my plans. I'm just ready to, I'm going to listen to you. And so I did that and it's just been an awesome, awesome um, experience. Part of that was saying, I'm ready to give up my comfort, you know, because that was something, wow, you know, to have to leave, if the thought of for me to leave my house and change my plans for my kids and um, even my career plans. All of that was really hard, but I did get to that point. And so, uh, so I guess the point I'm making is that in order to um, go into a relationship and be able to submit to my husband, uh, I first have to submit to the Lord. And, uh, you know, I kind of had to learn it the harder, you know, hard way. But at your age, you know, what a wonderful thing to start with a really, really solid foundation in him and to have a very eternal perspective instead of an earthly perspective, you know, to, to be thinking about, you know, how can I, it's not about me and it's not about what I want to do with my life. It really is all about, you know, how can he use me to further his kingdom? What, what does he want me to do? And, um, and then that's just that whole that whole, um, you know, look at life just completely changes. And he just put such a fire in me 
to um, serve him. And uh, it has been a really, really exciting journey uh, as I've just grown so much more in the last uh, five years. And so during that time, um, you know, I, like I said, I had to fully submit to him. And, uh, you know, if I want to bring up Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, around verse 15, talks about the fact that we need to learn to, you know, live by the Spirit. And right after that, it says, um, husbands and wives need to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so once I did, you know, fully submit to him, I'm able now to uh, look at my husband in a different way and, and see that it's not really about, you know, I don't get as, I'm not looking at him to satisfy my needs. I'm looking now at him to say, how can I help him grow in his walk with the Lord? How can I help him accomplish what the Lord wants him to do? And um, how can I help him serve the Lord? And so it's just the focus has become less of me and more of him. And I like what um, Tim Keller says. He calls this a spirit-powered submission. So submission, you know, isn't a bad thing at all. In fact, it's, you know, it's, it's an awesome freeing thing to submit to the Lord and just say, I don't even have to worry about, you know, my plans for my future or what I'm going to do tomorrow. It's all in your hands. I'm just going to come to you daily, read your word, get to know you, talk to you, um, hear from you, and then uh, I trust that you're going to tell me what it is that I'm supposed to do. And he really, really has. I have um, just learned so much from him. Now, it's not always easy, and he has called me to do some things in the past five years that and this is one of them, um, that, you know, is way out of my comfort zone because I'm a very introverted person. But he has just told me over and over that, you know, I'll equip you. I'll help you do this. Just trust me. And uh, by doing that and by taking these little steps of obedience and submission, and um, I have just experienced him in so many ways. <clears throat> And so, you know, you take a step and you obey and he, and he completely equips you and that helps you take that next step as you obey. And so, you know, I think um, I just want to encourage you that it really does start with that personal walk with him, knowing him before you uh, can really be effective in any relationship that you're going to have. It's not always a husband-wife relationship. It might be, you know, to be a really good friend. Um, or to be a really good sister, it's going to take first uh, submitting to the Lord. And, you know, another thing I was thinking about is the fact that we have this, um, the Lord puts a longing in our heart, and the only thing that's going to fill that longing is Him. And I, th you know, I think back to my life, um, you know, when I was younger, and so many times I looked to other things to fill that longing, and even Tom, I mean, uh, when we got married, I think that I probably did look to him and got very dissatisfied when he couldn't um, feel that longing. But realizing that it, he can't, and that's not fair of him. Uh, only the Lord can fill that longing. And so, and you know, he says in uh, John four that he is living water, and you know those who uh, drink from uh, him will never be thirsty again. And he's also the bread of life, he says in John 6. And um, so, 
that is just so comforting to me that, you know, basically he is all I need uh, to, you know, to, uh, for life and to fill that longing. My brother, uh, and I've told others this, my brother's a real health nut and um, I'm kind of, I'm kind of healthy, but I'm not, you, you haven't met my brother. And so I almost said, no, I'm not a health nut, but I knew. Nutty. Yeah, that's right. Nutty, yeah. Just yeah. Healthy. Yeah. Okay. But I'm not even, yeah. But um, I'm not healthy compared to him, but he, uh, he is a health nut. And so he always gets on to me because I like Diet Coke a lot. And I'm trying to break myself of this habit, but I'd much rather drink Diet Coke than water. And he keeps telling me, you know, Diane, the only thing though, that will quench your thirst is water. It's, you're not going to get that from all this pop that you drink. You're going to have to drink water to quench your thirst. And that is true of the Lord. I mean, he is the only, the only thing that's going to fully satisfy you. Everything else, including a, a wife and a husband, will leave you empty if you don't be filled with him first. And so awesome. that's all I want to say. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. Um, uh, you know, we have a, similar things that we're talking about because um, what she just said is ultimately where I'm going. Um, and and so so here's the, here's the thing I, I I I get the privilege of talking to guys tonight about something that is I think pandemic among men. Um, it's the issue of pornography. So this is this is what I came to talk about. This is the one thing I think. This is the one thing I hear from from guys all the time, uh, and not just college guys, but men, um, adult men that are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, married, single. Um, th- this is across the board an issue um, with men, and and so I want to talk about it. And I actually have notes that I'm going to pass out afterwards. I'm literally going to give you everything I just say when I'm done, okay? But I don't want to pass it out now because it'll be it'll take too long, and I've got. Now I have 10 minutes um, to talk about pornography. Awesome. Um, so let me, let, me, let me start from this perspective. Um, this, is, this is something, this is a struggle that I know personally, okay? And so this is a struggle I know, and, this, and what I know about this is I know the pain of wanting it to go away so badly, wanting the temptation to go away. And, and realizing the, the hope that maybe it's gone and then the, the despair when, oh, the temptation's not gone. And, oh, I, I struggled again. Um, so, so I know this struggle. And I know that many of you are in this battle. And many of you, and I've talked to you, and I've seen, I've seen the pain in your eyes because you just want to go away and you don't understand why God wouldn't want you to want it to go away. It's clear that God doesn't want us to do this, look at this, view this, and yet it's, he's not just radically removing it. Why? Well, maybe we'll get there uh, because it's way bigger than, than, than we think. But I also know, I know what, it, what it means to experience freedom in Christ in this area. So I'm just going to say it from the beginning. I'm, I'm offering myself to talk to any of you guys. You, you hopefully have my number. If not, there's cards, there's whatever, Facebook, there's ways to get a hold of me. Uh, I'm, I'm offering myself to talk to, any, to anyone in here about it, any guy in here about it. Um, so let me say that. So, so, so here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say three things. 
And then I'm going to basically just spend the rest of my time explaining those three things. Here's the three things. One is you, you, you can't and you won't deal with uh, a pornography problem or a problem with um, experiencing or, or seeking sexual pleasure outside of the way God gave it. You, you won't deal with that problem unless you understand why you want what it offers. Okay? You need to... Uh, you need to understand what pornography offers in order to deal with it. And you won't understand what it offers until... you Actually, you won't understand why you want what it offers until you know what you were designed for. So, until you know... And you won't know what you're designed for until you seek Jesus to find not only your example, but also the answer to what you're looking for. So that's what I'm, I'm, those three things I'm going to explain here in about seven and a half, eight minutes. Actually, I'm going to go over. Just, just assume, <laughs> just forget the clock. We're going to go over tonight. Um, and if you guys are all for it, we'll have questions. But if not, we'll, we'll just, we'll just be around. Let me start with this, the purpose of sex. Okay, purpose of sex is this. In Genesis 2, it's interesting. God creates Adam. He is naked and he is with God. And he's with a bunch of animals. And, and, and there is a relationship with, with God. And so I'm going to use this word, okay, because this, this word is maybe weird for guys to think about with God, but we are created to be in an intimate relationship with God. Adam's naked, okay, and he's with God. And, and we know that in Genesis 3, God walks in the cool of the day, so we know that God's walking with Adam, and they're there, and, and to be naked is to be fully vulnerable, to be fully known. And, and Adam was this with his God, and of course we know the story. There's no animal that's like Adam, and Adam says that, and God says, okay, go to sleep. He wakes up, woo, man. Um, and then there's woman. So, and then he says, sings this like love poem to, to her. Um, and then it says, they were naked and felt no shame. So now we have Adam is intimate, naked and intimate, vulnerable to God, and he's naked and vulnerable to his wife. So sex was created to be, to be experienced in a covenant relationship. Um, was, was to be experienced in a covenant relationship for a couple of things. One, for pleasure. The Bible's pretty clear about that. Read Song of Solomon. It's all over the place. Two, for children. Okay? And, and there, is, uh, there is no greater experience two people can have than making a life together and going through that process. Like, there's no greater experience you can have than two people creating a life. Um, so, so, it's an intimate experience, both pleasure and having children. So, sex is, is that for a covenant relationship. But then it is also an, an um, how did I put it? It is an, ultimately an example of the kind of intimacy that we are, that we are to have for, with God. That, that God desires this kind of deep, <clears throat> open, vulnerable relationship with God um, he says this in, in Hebrews 6 we've, we've seen this actually Hebrews 4, 13 it says that, that nothing is hidden from God's sight everything is naked and, and, and vulnerable everything is, is, is laid bare before him so we, we know that he sees that already and he wants us to be okay with that um, no sexual experience can satisfy the deeper longing we have to be known by God none Okay. so here's the problem with pornography our culture has raised sex to the ultimate human experience, and it's not. Okay, they're lying to you. Every commercial, every billboard, every 
TV show, every movie you've seen, every conversation you've seen on the junior high bus or in the locker room, it's 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 elevating sex to this ultimate human experience, and it's not. Um, the ultimate human experience is to know and to be fully known by your God, by your Creator. That's the ultimate human experience. That's what God's wired us and created us for. So, porn or sexual pleasure outside of marriage hardwires our brains to make sex about one thing: consumer selfishness. Okay, not what is designed for, which was, which is covenant intimacy. So it hardwires our brain to, to make it about something that it was never meant to be, which is um, consumer selfishness. So God wants it to be about covenant intimacy. Seeking sexual pleasure for selfish reasons may start with curiosity. Okay, For me, my cousin, my 12-year-old cousin, knew how to work the satellite dish, which back when I was 11 is when this happened. Satellite dishes were the size of this house. Okay, Do you guys ever seen one of these things? They're huge. Two of you. Sweet. <laughs> Diane remembers. They're huge. And he knew how to work it with a remote. I had no idea. But 11 years old, he's working it, and he, I, I see pornography for the first time. My parents were out of, out of the house. I had no control of it. It's just right in front of me. Um, so where was I? Yes. Um, it, it, it may start with curiosity, but it becomes something we turn to in order to feel something. So I, so I want you to think about it deep down. Take, turn off your junior high brain. I want you to think deep down. There's something, there's a reason that, it, that, we, that we would keep going back to something in order to, in order to get something from it. What is that? What is that feeling? What is that we're looking for? Um, so here's, here's what I believe it is. Pornography offers two things. It offers cheap intimacy. It offers cheap intimacy. Okay, at no cost, no cost to you, no intimacy, whether it's with another person or with God, um, was meant to be cheap. It's meant to be hard work. It's meant to be difficult at times. It's meant to be amazing at times. Um, but it offers cheap intimacy, and it offer, offers a false reality, a false reality. It's not real. So, why do men turn, why do men turn to it? Sexual pleasure, like any narcotic, is a, cheap, is a cheap fix for our deeper desire for intimacy with God. Sexual fantasy, okay, like any hallucinogen, is a quick escape from being stressed or not feeling significant. It's a big one. I'm, I'll get back to that part here in a little bit. So it, 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 we escape reality. That's, that's, that's why. That's what it offers. You will um, not deal with your issue, that, that struggle, this temptation, until you understand why you want cheap intimacy, until you understand why you want to escape reality. Why would someone want to escape reality? It's because they don't like the way reality makes them feel. So that's why it's why alcoholics go back to it. It's why drug addicts go back to it. It's it, there's a reason that addictions bring people back. It's because it helps them disconnect from the problems or <coughs> their stress or you name it. Stress and boredom are um, surface these kinds of feelings. They weaken our self control and it lowers our defenses. So stress and boredom. 
Matt Chandler says, no man should be bored. You should go to bed tired from doing the work that God's called you to do. If you're busy doing God's work, you don't have time for fantasy. It's pretty true. This is where we're going. Here's, here's what a God-revealing man is. This is, you, this is what you're made, this is what you're designed for. You're designed for intimacy, but you're also designed um, to be a God-revealing man. And here's what I mean. Um, you, are, you, are, you are designed by God to, to reveal God in a way that you relate to others. Uniquely, different than women. You were you were made to reveal God in the way you relate to others that's different than women. In Genesis one twenty seven, the the Hebrew word for male, when God, when it says that God made male and female in their image, in His image, He made them male and female. That word male, and then in in Mark ten six, Jesus quotes Genesis one twenty seven. So we have we have these two words male, in Hebrew, and in Greek. Okay, in Hebrew it's the word zakar, in Greek it's the word rn or arsen. Uh, depending on how you how you look at that, you put these two words together. It's interesting. You put these two words together and the root and how they're used and all throughout Scripture. Here's here's what it is. A, a man reveals God when he remembers what's important in order to move with strength to make an important impact. That's what it means to be a man. That's what that's what masculine men do is they remember what's important in order to move with strength. To make, an, to make an important difference, to make an important impact. So here's, where, here's what man's deepest fear is, then, according to Larry Crabb. Um, and I, I think he's right. He says man's deepest fear, his core terror, is not mattering, is not making a difference. How he puts it is being weightless. Having, making no difference in a situation, in, in a relationship, in a, in a life. So men were made to live out their God-revealing maleness with others every day. It's not supposed to be easy. You're supposed to work hard at it. And you can't. You're, you're made to work hard at this. And you have what it takes to do this. Every single one of you men has this. Masculine men were made to seek God with all their heart and to seek to fulfill God's purposes for them with all their strength. And like, like Chandler says, you're to go to bed tired doing the work that God's put you here to do. Jesus is not only our example, but he's also our answer. Here's how he's our, our example. Because Philippians 2 tells us, he did not consider equality with God something to be held on to and grasped, it says. No, he let go, he emptied himself, and it says he humbled himself became obedient to death on a cross. He revealed God okay, by, by rescuing us in our sin to redeem us and restore us for God's glory. And he actively pursued. He remembered and he moved with strength. And he, did, he made an important impact. Um, he, he, Jesus is also our answer because... This is something, guys, you got to hear this. This is something you cannot just remove from your life. Take pornography away. Take the struggle away. It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work. You have to replace it with a greater, um, more significant love. That's where Jesus comes in. Because as we've been hearing all throughout Hebrews, He is better than anything else. And so when you pursue Him... This is what Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says. 
Um, it basically says, seek Jesus and then put sin to death. That put sin to death is important. Okay, there, there will be action that comes with that. But it's seek Jesus. You're, you keep your mind focused on, on Him. So here's what I want to say. Jesus is inviting you. Um, inviting you into a new way of dealing with loneliness or stress or boredom or <clears throat> the fear of not mattering and into a deeper relationship with God to, to know and be fully known by God in order to live out your God-revealing maleness. And it starts with surrender. <coughs> it just starts with being, being willing to, all right, God, I'll do whatever. I'm going to seek you and I'll do whatever you want. Um, and that's where, that's where it starts. And that's where it begins and that's where it ends, I think, as well. Like this, it just doesn't end. I've talked to men in their 60s and 70s, and I asked them, okay, when does temptation for lust go away? And they're like, I'll tell you when it happens. I'm like, crap. I just want it to be, I, I want the easy route, Lord. Just give me the easy, quick fix. That's what I want. Just, just remove it so I don't have to work hard at it. And God says, no, 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 no. There's so much to be learned in this process. So you won't deal with this problem until you understand why you want what it offers. You won't understand why you want what it offers until you understand what you're designed for, and you won't understand what you're designed for until you seek Jesus to be your example and the answer to what you're looking for. Um, obviously, I would love to talk more about this, but it's it's after 9.30, and I think it's probably best to just have us have questions afterwards. We'll, you guys can come up. Um, there, there's some great stuff out there, some great resources I would love to give you if, you're, if you want more information. Um, but I think, we're, I think we're out of time. So let me, let me pray, and then and we'll be done. God, I, I'm, I'm thankful that there's no problem, there's no problem, no struggle that is too big for you. I'm thankful that those of us who placed our faith and trust in you, we have a new set of eyes that you've given us. We have, we have new desires you've given us to, to live for you now, which may seem crazy compared to what we used to live for. But it, it's there, and you've given it to us. And, and I believe when our life is hidden in you, you reign supreme over everything. And so therefore there is nothing in this world, God, that you don't reign supreme over, that you aren't in charge of. And so I, I'm thankful for that. And whether it's, no matter who it is here, that's whatever the wrestling with, God, I, I believe that by placing their faith and trust in you, um, you reign over that. And, and you are victorious, God, and we can celebrate that victory as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death with you. And so I lift up these things. I ask God for your spirit to... Um, to fill in gaps that we missed, to give grace where needed, to um, rearrange words that were misspoken um, so that it all points to you and your truth. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.